Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Cutback Podcast, where we keep our head on a swivel to bring you our living room commentary on the latest and greatest from the world of sports and the business that surrounds it. I'm Ian Burley. I'm Cullen Munns, and we're off and running. Ian, 38 weeks. I think we can, like, have delivered a baby at this point. <laughs> yeah, how many, uh, I got to think here, what, nine months, approximately four weeks per month? That's 36. So, yeah, we're just about due. And so the Cutback Pod just birthed its first child. Thanks. <laughs> we are unsuspecting and unprepared parents. Uh, not even close to a prepared parent <laughs> over here. Hardly taking care of myself, myself <laughs> these days. No kidding. It's been a rough run, Rabbit, lately, man. Hey, we uh, just got to power through here. Let's go ahead and jump right into some of our work topics this week. Uh, the first one actually came out uh, last week. Uh, and because this is the winter, I thought it was... Uh, appropriate ESPN is looking to sell the X games. This kind of like shattered my mind a little bit. So I, the, when I saw it in the outline, this is like the first time I've even seen or paid any attention to the X games since probably 2008. So I guess that's something. So that was the first thing that I wanted to talk about because I've been the same way. And I remember, especially in high school, the X Games was appointment TV. You know, there was there was the iteration in the winter that was always at Aspen. Yep. Uh, Sal Michaela was always on the call. And it was it was just an awesome, it was almost like an ESPN, like MTV of that time crossover event. Right. I, I it was and but you wanted to tune in. Like there was advertising, ESPN pushed it. I mean, it was like quality, you know, quality I'm using loosely, but content that ESPN wanted you to tune in for. Oh yeah, it was it was a premier part of their offerings, uh, both for that winter segment, and then they always had the summer iteration as well. And then, uh, let's see, I, I was looking at it started uh, like mid two thousand tens, somewhere in that in this past decade, where they turned it into more of a touring event, where there's multiple iterations of the Winter X Games every year. There's multiple tour styles for the Summer X Games, and my question is like. Does that actually dilute the interest and like the thrill of the X Games? Like, has the product gotten worse because they've added more stops? I mean, I would have to tell you the answer is obviously yes. And and, and I kind of and I can't believe I'm saying this. Uh, and people are probably going to roll over in their grave when they hear this. But the X Games are kind of like the Olympics. They carry so much weight because they're that once a year, you know, once every so often type of event that you look forward to and when they i think just like you said they did dilute the product when they started going on tour and doing putting on the same show over and over and over and over and over again yeah they're more fitting into kind of like the international skiing federation mantra where okay now the x games are essentially a tour and all the different stops you know you can win events at those stops and then there's like a, a end of the year total points kind of standings like like a nascar situation it was interesting because it seems like it was a they had the business reason to make that decision i saw uh just this past year 2020 right before the coronavirus and and kind of the pandemic shut things down they set the winter x games attendance record this past year 2020 in aspen at almost 50,000 people at the event so it seems like there's still interest uh, from an in-person event standpoint, but from my from like I haven't watched it since high school, and and I don't see it 
like advertised as much and promoted as much. But you also that that's in Aspen. That's the original, the original place, isn't it? True. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, and, and so how much of that is that residual? Like the people in Aspen are still fired up because it's still like their their event, you know. Like they're still carrying that same cachet in Aspen as it did back in the early two thousands. But I, I argue that it doesn't have that cachet built up in other cities. Yeah, yeah, maybe that is it. Where Aspen, it feels like that is the home of the X Games, so they're always able to have good crowds there and put on a good show. Uh, but maybe not so much in different um, different markets. But it, it's a worldwide product now. I mean, they have tour stops in South America, Europe, Asia. You mentioned the Olympics. Uh, that was interesting because even currently, like where we sit now. Um, the X Games notices a large year-over-year increase in years that the Olympic Games are o- also taking place because now these action sports are in the Olympics. Uh, so you're seeing those those athletes generally participate in the X Games. It's almost like a, a primer and a tune-up for the Olympics. Right, and I would even say maybe that's kind of also diluting diluting your product and that the even the athletes themselves aren't viewing the x games as the top level platform for their for their games you know what i'm saying for their skill whatever they're doing yeah that's interesting i would be curious to talk to or or hear the opinion on some of these on some of these athletes especially in like skiing snowboarding like half pipe and and then even the skateboarding and, and some of the summer events as well where it's like what do they put more stock into? Do well, they- I would just, I would think it's a lot like golf, like golfers. I mean, and there's a bunch yeah. of them out there where they've said it already publicly. Tiger Woods being one of them who said like he didn't even care about the Waste Management Open or whatever in Phoenix and like would come in hungover to play. But then when it's the Masters, it's like he completely changes his routine. Well, and you would have to compare it to like the Masters versus the Olympics. Right. So does Tiger care about winning the Masters or winning an Olympic gold medal? I would argue that they care about winning the Masters. Similar in cycling, road racing, uh, it's all about the Tour de France. Tour de France, right. There is cycling in the Olympics. Nobody cares. Well, even soccer. That, soccer, they don't, we only care about the World Cup. Nobody cares about the Olympics and soccer. Yeah, that's an interesting point. That is an interesting point. It was interesting, too, because I did see that uh, – the X Games has started to be streamed on Twitch and YouTube uh, through ESPN like accounts, um, and and those streaming minutes or like concurrent viewers has tripled since 2018. So they are still seeing an audience, but maybe because the audience is shifting off of kind of traditional channels, ESPN just sees it as, hey, this would be best for us to offload to somebody else, and you know we'll take market value for it and just kind of keep it moving. Yeah, I think that's probably what we're seeing happening is ESPN is instead of looking for alternative ways to get their product out, they're just going to move on from a product that's probably better served, like you were saying, through non-traditional viewing platforms. Yeah, and maybe from an ownership group who, man, maybe even a smaller ownership group who can really pour, you know, the X Games becomes their main thing because let's face it, if you're sitting in the business offices of ESPN, AKA Disney, where does the X games fall on the big board in terms of uh, resources given and teams supporting so on and so forth. Right, man. I, no, see, and I'm the opposite because as somebody who came, who went to a league 
thinking that it was the small guy that could float it and could afford the expenses and could get it off the ground. Like you're so much better served being in with Disney's deep pockets. Yeah. I mean, true. I, I, I just, because Disney won't run out of money. Like that's the, like Disney's never going to have an expense where they're like, we can't afford that. You know what I'm saying? Whereas I don't care what individual or what single person, if they dumped every, there's usually their business people and they look at it and go, look, that's a stupid expense. And they don't really understand. And they try to put their fingers all over everything and try and control it. And it's not a normal business. I think there's a chance that Disney would, would be giving the X games and the production of the X games, a smaller budget uh, than other than Monday night football. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but even in comparative to what other owners do. So, so uh, maybe another company or an ownership group comes in and they're smaller than Disney, but they also are willing to dedicate more total funds to the X games. Right. But I'm okay. Yes. Because if the yeah. funds are there, but you don't, if if you're being told you can't have access to them because the people in charge don't think it's important, then it doesn't matter what the large pie is if they're saying you can only have a small slice, even if there's leftovers. Right, I, and you're. I guess we're we're talking at it. I'm being the pessimist here. You're being the optimist. You're looking at it for growth and like expansion. I'm saying Disney will never let the X Games fail. The X Games will never go under while they're under the Disney umbrella. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's just curious that they are look at the end of the day they're trying to sell it. Right, because Disney doesn't want to keep floating it. But Disney the answer wasn't, hey, we're just gonna get rid of the X games altogether because mm, it's a it's a bad look on Disney's brand if one of their th- assets goes out of business. You know what I'm saying? They completely dissolve it. Right. That's a way worse look than them just selling it to somebody else and then letting it flop. Yeah. Yep, that makes sense. Let's uh take a bit of a left turn here, and I'm gonna toss this one over to you because it is coming out of your home state of Texas. It is indeed. Um, the NBA. Have you heard of it, Ian? Uh, it's a, a great, it's a great organization. It's nat- they play national basketball there, and there has been some controversy over the last two weeks. But you may not have heard of it until about the last, I don't know, forty eight hours as of this recording. Um. Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, um, approximately 13 games ago, as of this recording, the Mavericks play tonight. Um, so 13 games prior to to today, uh, Mark Cuban stopped the national anthem from being played in the stadium. Uh, he said it wasn't political. It was just because it was causing a, ri- a riff uh, between the fans, the players, and the organization. And he said that we were just not going to play it. That was the best answer. Um, since then it, that was not even brought up in the media. Nobody was really talking about it. It made it 13 games, uh, about three weeks. And then yesterday, Adam Silver, uh, put out a league wide mandate that the national anthem must be played before all games, uh, sticking with the league wide tradition and policy that has gone on. Um, Ian, I guess I'm, you know, and I, I see both sides here, but I just, I really am so tired of all of the national anthem drama. Like, but the sides aren't, they're just sticking their heels in the ground on, and they're not even arguing the same thing. And that's what bothers me here. Right. So I, I have a couple like clarifying questions, I guess, to see if you have any more information. Do you know where the Mavericks, have the Mavericks been having fans at home games? 
They have Texas. So the Texas, Florida, Arizona, uh, and I believe Carolina um, is allowing fans in some capacity. So both all the Texas teams, all the teams in Florida, all of them. So there's a good chunk, including the Mavericks, that have had fans in the stands. Okay, because at one point I had kind of seen a narrative that was like, if there's no fans in the stands, does it really matter? Because is it, is it done more? But for the fans. okay, but even if there's fans, if there's no fans, that to me is we're still missing. Like, what is the point of playing the national anthem before the game? Well, I mean, it, yeah, th- these are the same questions I have. You know, it's interesting when you sit back and think about it because we obviously grew up playing sports. We've been around team sports environments post um, our playing days, which and you know ended in high school for both of us. Um, outside of intramurals, of course. Sure, intramural um, champs. Tre- yep, true. Um, and you, you look back and you do, at least myself, like the national anthem for me, at least was just a part of like the, your pregame routine routine. Absolutely. You know, it was, it was a bit of like a grounding moment and kind of that last little, let's take a breath and let's go do this thing. Right. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't about anything more than that for me right like it could have been we could have listened to any song really you know and and if it was in that time where it was like okay let's let's kind of collect ourselves and get going here so you know i see that too where it's like it it has been a part of just a routine for a long time but what i thought was very interesting that i saw was an opinion from mina kimes um yes of which i think she has a lot she spoke how you know she, she has a lot of opinions or a lot of good opinions both i agree because i i'm a big fan of mina i think mina kimes is an awesome awesome analyst and reporter for that matter yeah she's one of the it's funny to still have to consider her like an up-and-coming star at espn but she is in fact like she's beginning to take over and, and be one of their largest uh, TV personalities and, and does well on Twitter and so on and so forth. But quick, but, quick pin there though. If you don't follow Mina Kimes mom on Twitter, yeah. you're messing up. Like you need to follow Mina Kimes mom on Twitter. Meteoric rise to fame over the past like month and a half. Amazing. You it's it, good for at least one good belly laugh a day. Yeah. At, at least a pop a day, which you need. Um, so back to what Mina Kimes kind of brought, and I think she was doing this on uh, around the horn potentially. Um, and she said, "Listen, I grew up as an army brat on military bases. We moved around a lot. My my father is a veteran, so I'm going to speak from that perspective." And she said, "In her opinion, there are a lot of different ways and better ways to support veterans than." Uh, playing the national anthem before sporting events because that is the main argument that is made for playing it especially when people say they aren't going to play it or when we've seen players uh, and teams kneel during the national anthem is that you're disrespecting our veterans so on and so forth and i think mina kimes you know she didn't go as far into it as this but it's like we have a lot of issues in terms of how we take care of veterans in this country you know there's the, uh, the amount of veterans who are homeless or underemployed is skyrocketed. Those who have massive health care bills that they can never pay. Um, you know, the, the list goes on and on. And, and so I think her point of saying, listen, if we want to talk this talk about respecting our veterans and taking care of our veterans, let's start with the shit that really matters because the homeless veteran on the street who, when he got back from service, 
couldn't couldn't afford to get a house, couldn't get a job. Maybe he was injured. Maybe he has PTSD. Maybe he has uh, kind of mental health issues. Can guarantee he doesn't give a shit about whether or not you play the national anthem before an NBA game, let alone like a high school basketball game. Yes, like they don't care at all. But my my point is that the side that is protesting the national anthem or whatever, the side that disagrees with it, they're not. It's not them mad at the veterans. So we're we're not even arguing the same things. Like we're just we're misattributing what the anthem is. Well, that like, whole message hijacking there, bud. How's that message hijacking? No, but like because if I was hearing you correctly. Oh, 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 you're saying what's yeah. happening is messaging message hijacking. I thought you were accusing yeah. me of message oh, hijacking. No, no. no. <laughs> What, what you just described is the accurate representation of what's happening. And that is message hijacking of people uh, kneeling during the anthem or choosing not to come out on the field for the anthem or, you know, Mark Cuban's stance of not playing it. You know, people will say that they'll say it's for one reason and they'll be very specific about it. And then uh, the group on the other side will say, no, it's actually because of this. And, and you're never going to. The, where, where's the bargaining table or the the olive branch when those that, those are the starting points? Right, and and so I think that you're yes, it is message hijacking to the nth degree. But I think the beautiful chef's kiss of irony that this that this gives you is the whole point of the national anthem. And when it started, especially before sporting events, was to bring unity around World War One. Yeah, it it's was supposed in wartime. to. Right, it's supposed. The whole point we are even doing it is to drive us toward unity, to 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 come together, in support of the country. Yeah, and, and I would argue now we're doing the exact opposite. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and uh, just as like an additional little question I have for some of those people is like, they televise the national anthem, right? Like when we're watching a sporting event. Uh, they generally televise the playing of the national anthem, especially the large sporting events. Uh, just curious, does anybody stand in their homes or at the bar for that and quiet down, or does everybody just kind of keep it moving? Oh, I definitely keep it moving. Yeah, I, it, it, <laughs> I mean, seen you know, one person stand up in a living room. Oh God, bless! <laughs> like uh, you and I, this is probably bad, but I, like when I'm working, I mean, I work in a baseball stadium. The national anthem's played every game. Uh, you can bet you're behind uh, when the national anthem is played. I find an employees only area where I can go in. And so I don't like can keep working yeah. while the national anthem's going on. And I don't get trapped on the concourse where I have to stop and stand. Right. Yeah. It, you, we've both been in scenarios where while that is happening, we have work that needs to be done. So you're fucking working. That's what you're doing. You're going. Right. And I don't, it's not me disrespecting the, the, veterans it's not me it's really not me trying to stand up for a social cause either it's me trying to get my job done to prevent my ass from getting chewed later yeah it's completely selfish yeah i think that in certain situations people like to blow things out of proportion right and and kind of drive their own narrative about you know they could say oh well he's just he's not stopping because he must believe in this and this or he must not believe in this and this it's like literally it's it's not all that serious well and, and let's go i want to take this down a, a step further because you and i both not only have worked in sports organizations but we've also gone to sporting events where the national anthem is played correct and as fans 
and you know me well. You know I have a relationship with hat, headwear, hats, um, and due to a, you know, uh, being follically challenged. And <laughs> I, But I take my hat off for the national anthem, but if the guy in the row in front of me didn't take his hat off, I'm not going to be the person to hit him on the head and be like, hey, take your hat off, dude, you know? But there, are, I've seen people do that. Oh man, I saw working for the Emeralds, uh, and in a in the position that you and I both worked in, when you're you're kind of walking around the ballpark and keeping eyes on on everything that's going on, saw multiple people call people out during the national anthem for maybe having their hat on, or because their kids, small kids, were like being loud or loud, something. yeah. It, one, I just want to know why people are so angry all the time, because to me, it just comes back to like, this person's mad about something else. And for some reason, this is just like something that is able to make them snap. Um, but it, yeah, it's ridiculous. Sometimes it's like, just worry about yourself first. Like, is that guy not taking his hat off really bothering you? And and you know what, though? I think we do have to be cognizant that it probably does actually bother people. There are probably people who have lost a family member and they perceive uh, and and view the national anthem as like maybe a time of remembrance, a time to really uh, connect with, with their kind of history right. and all that stuff. Yes. It's, so it's a divisive thing. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> in that sense, it is exactly something that is divisive by nature. You, you're right. Because you, you have two people that could both be in a ballpark that, have differing issues on it it's divisive so the answer should be what mark cuban did let's not do it <laughs> like let's just not even give them the opportunity to fight yeah right yeah yep yeah and i i did think it was interesting that like you said it went for 13 games unnoticed uh then it started to pick up steam on the internet cuban addressed it and and said that they would return to playing it at that point, I think it was mentioned because there was going to be more fans in the stands, but maybe I'm kind of pulling that out of thin air or or from a different situation and I'm conflating the two. But Cuban says, okay, we'll, we'll start playing it again. And then Adam Silver comes with the hammer to say, yeah, and don't anybody else even think about it. Right. Yes. I, I, but I also, while we're here on Mark Cuban, I, I think Mark Cuban is, a, is an owner that has – in our lifetime, and, and I mean, obviously, you and I are both under 30, so we're definitely new, what I would call new age fans. Uh, Mark Cuban has been the guy, the owner in our lifetime, who you've seen a drastic change in who, who he is as an owner and a personality from when, from tw- over these last 20 years. I mean, used to be Mark Cuban was that arrogant, unbearable owner, and you look at now, look at him now, and Mark Cuban's I can't is leading like social causes is, is out in front with the players. Uh, isn't, you know, getting fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for dog cussing referees at games anymore. <laughs> like, like things like that. I mean, it's just, you, we, there's been a noticeable change in him and he work. He's the owner of my, the most hated team that in my, against my team. And so, right. and it's, so I guess I, you know, I'm kind of hyper aware of him, but it's just I, I applaud it because I think he is somebody you've seen this change in growth in over the course of his career. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And, and personal growth is important. And it, it's like he went from 
being the hotshot uh, dot com bubble billionaire to now he's also a father. He has multiple other business initiatives. I do like, though, I think he understands how to connect with the new age fans in that Me too. Um, previously leaders and kind of like thought leaders, influencers, um, coaches, owners, big business people, you know, everybody was supposed to always be very polished, very buttoned up. Uh, and that essentially resulted in kind of nobody really knowing much about people. Um, nobody really learning anything. When you think about like coach interviews, coach speak is a, is a thing for a reason. You can apply that to CEO speak as well. Like we're, we're going to talk a lot and tell you absolutely nothing type of deal. Uh, it, because that was just kind of the the norm. And I think that people are realizing that now uh, people our age, definitely people younger than us, they would rather be able to, co- to connect with somebody's like authentic personality and either choose to like them or not like them than be left in the dark. Uh, and it reminds me of a phrase uh, from from my guy Charlemagne the God again, where he says, three people are going to love you, three people are going to hate you, four people are, aren't going to care. Uh, and I think yeah. people were so afraid to have those three people who were going to hate it and four people who weren't going to care that they tried to get all 10 people to maybe not love it, but at least not hate it. Uh, and, and so, you know, Cuban, while he has grown, uh, you know, and, and kind of maybe out of that arrogant dot-com bubble personality he has also been very forward in taking stances on things like you said with with social justice and sticking up for uh players in a lot of ways and he's become like a very player friendly owner and somebody that a lot of fans are connecting with to the point where like people are telling him to run for president yeah i i know and and i think that is a kind of a sign to using your charlamagne the god quote the three love three hate four don't care i I think Cubans kind of realize, like, yeah, and the three that love me are going to support me 10 times over than if I had 10 people who felt lukewarm about me. You know what I'm saying? Oh, 100%. 100%. And if we want to bring it full kind of uh, full circle and apply it to business, we're, we're kind of talking about, like, impressions versus engagement. So you might yeah. get a million impressions, but if you only have a 1,000 engagements – that's a terrible ratio. That means you just have. That's about like our impression to engagement ratio with the podcast, right? Yeah, without a doubt. And it, <laughs> you can uh, apply it to like people on Instagram for say, let's say they have a million followers. They post a photo. It gets 10,000 likes. That's not, you, you know, we, if we got 10,000 likes, we're like, holy shit. Right. But like 10,000 likes in the context of a, a million people that's a small ratio. So yeah, it, it's a fart in a whirlwind. It's just interesting. And, and I, I hope it, it seems like it has pros and cons, right? Like in, in a way it's, it's allowing people to speak up more. And, and it seems that there's a lot of good coming from it. A lot of connectivity, uh, both between like players and coaches, between fans and teams, between fans and just other thought leaders in other realms of society than sports. But I also wonder if it allows things to be more divisive because people, instead of hiding things that, that, they don't agree with we're much more open with just saying this is what i believe and that that's what it is and then you now you've created the arena for the bickering 
if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, who uh, here I come riding in on my moral high horse. But dun, 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 dun. I, yeah, exactly. Here I come. Uh, but uh, it's, it's the same that I feel like this picking of teams that we're doing is only half the battle. The other half is being able to at least you may not, you don't have to agree with the other side, but you at least need to work with them to advance. You know what I'm saying? Man, I think, I think you put it perfectly where for so long, we didn't even have the space to have disagreements. Now right. the space is here. So we are, we're fucking disagreeing hardcore because we're realizing that we, we have a lot of differences, right? Uh, and a lot of uh, strong feelings and differences. Now we need to take the next step and realize that we also have a lot of similarities, a lot of common interests, a lot of common goals, uh, and we need to be able to find a way to work together um, and maybe find disagreements that we can accept and disagreements that we can't accept, right? But you have to take the next iteration or else you might as well just keep throwing freshly cut two-by-fours and maybe <laughs> some, some gasoline or propane if you're a Hank Hill fan. Oh, do we do we have a Hank Hill fan on the show? Well, I am known to love King of the Hill, bud. I I know it well. I I've heard many a Hank Hill stories from you over the years. Yeah, and shout out David Roth if he's listening cuz uh he's also a big disciple of Hank Hill. Enough so that it's his Twitter bio. That's impressive. I hey, dedication never goes unnoticed. That puts me to shame. Um Let's move into some play topics here because, you know, we've really just been going down some, some, <laughs> some rabbit holes. <laughs> I think we got to some good places and and maybe, uh, you know, spit some good facts out there. It's called the cutback for a reason. You got to hang on. Let's stick in the realm of parties that disagree heavily. Oh. <laughs> God, <laughs> do they disagree. disagree? So I'm going to let you take this one because you're much more up to date on it. Um, and I think you can inform the people a little better. Than well, I'd love to inform the people. Uh, Ian, did you know uh, that spring training is one week away? I did not know that. Nobody else did either. <laughs> uh, so spring training, uh, pitchers and catchers report are supposed to report next week. Um, about 10 days ago, the owners of Major League Baseball sent a proposal to the players uh, to push back the season for a month. And they wanted to do this because they wanted to allow more time for more people in the country to get vaccinated, which in turn would allow more people to be in the stands. Uh, this came from the recommendation of the CDC and the WHO uh, for them to push it back a month. Uh, they agreed to pay the players in full, even though they were going to reduce the season eight games. So from going from a 162 game season, they were going to go to 154. However, the players were still going to get paid for 162 games. Um, the season would end one week later than a normal schedule. And there would only be a handful of double headers to make up that difference starting a month late that three weeks. So there would be, I believe eight double headers played throughout the season. Uh, there would be a universal DH in the National League and American League, expanded playoffs just like we saw in 2021, and then everything reverts back to a normal, like we all agreed upon in the original CBA in 2022. This is just a one-year stopgap um, for, for this COVID year. And the players told the owners to take that proposal and shove it where the sun don't shine, <laughs> and I don't understand why. And, and, and it, to me, this just is – more fighting just to fight because the owners and players hate each other. 
yeah, I was trying to find some some reason, you know, especially as you went down some of the main points of the proposal from the owners, uh, trying to find what maybe rebuttals would be from the players. So I had one. I don't know what you found. If you want to, I had one rebuttal that I found from the players that's oh. very lawyerly. I hadn't been able to find any, so I'm very curious to see what um, you have to say. So the the players, the rebuttal I found is the players, there's a clause in the new amendment to the CBA um, that gives Manfred um, the, gives him authority to make a decision upon the cancellation of a season. So if COVID gets out of hand, Manfred unilaterally has control to say, we're stopping league-wide, we're quitting. Um and the players didn't like that he had sole discretion on whether to stop it or not. However, um, he had in 2020 when they played, uh, he had that same discretion, that same exact clause was in that amendment that they had in 2020. So I don't think that holds a whole lot of water. Yeah, that's interesting uh, because until you said that that was part of the clause in 2020 as well, uh, I thought that that probably would be enough. Um and and maybe not because it should be, but just because we know the relationship the two between the two parties, then I could be see them saying, "Yeah, listen, like we could see this completely screwing us over, so we don't want that to be in there." I could still see that being the case, um, even though it was in the clause last year. I think last year was a much more like we need to play. Maybe the I don't you know I just I don't know because maybe this year it's like we don't want to have that clause because we don't have to agree to this to be able to play like uh, but but I, so if you do why do you they think he's going to stop it do you think he there do they think he's just going to stop it because he feels like it no yeah that's a good i mean point. he's representing the owners let's not forget this the owners are the ones who want him to keep going because more fans in the building right. in theory the people who should want to stop for safety reasons is the players Right. Yeah. And, and I'm confused as to why they wouldn't want to push things back, especially because didn't the season end slightly later than it would have in a normal season last year? Or was it really not that big of a difference? It really wasn't that big of a difference. If anything, I think it was a handful of days. It was in November. The, the last, the World Series, I think, finished the first week of November, which is very on schedule. Yeah. Right about on schedule. So, where do we currently stand? Do we currently stand that they're going to play the full season? Where are we at current state? So I'm glad you asked. So uh, the player, the players rejected that offer, uh, and the owners pretty much said, "Great, we'll see you on Valentine's Day for spring training. Be there." Uh, and the players said, "Great, see you there." So everybody seems like they're going to show up on time, and we're just going to play like a like it's normal. Like this isn't there's not a global pandemic going on and not raging throughout the country. Do you think they don't want expanded playoffs? And that, thank you. Cause this, this is what I don't understand the DH and the expanded playoffs. If I, the players to me should be cheering for both of those things. I think like, they could 100% be cheering for universal DH um, expanded playoffs. I could see arguments either way. Okay. Let's start with the DH. Cause I think we agree. And then let's, Let's talk playoffs from the DH position. I see it that the DH just creates another player that has value to a roster. Yeah. It's literally job creation, right? It's job creation. Exactly. It's not, and it isn't going anywhere. 
none most of them don't really want to hit like they'll go up there and have a good time and try their best obviously some of them some of them like <laughs> some of them are just taking there. three of them and they're going to sit so back down they don't give a fuck um and yeah it's job creation right and if you watch the american league now or excuse yeah the american league now outside of the dh like the bench guys very rarely see the field right and so with if you brought the dh over it's literally more money for one roster spot on a team. So I, I don't understand that. I guess the counter argument is the national league. They there's that quote unquote strategy uh, that goes into it. And there's the bench players have more value across the board because you constantly have to cycle through with pinch hitters and double switches and things like that. I, I guess, I so guess I go ahead. That doesn't those type of roster or uh, like lineup, management moves don't occur in a system with a dh not as often because really what you're doing is when you have a in the national league a lot of times you'll have a pinch hitter obviously when the pitcher comes up but you also have double switches so your bench guys have to be able to go to play the field and so you you'll be constantly cycling through so if you had a if you let's say in the sixth inning you're pinch hitting for your starter so you're down a bench guy and then you come up in the eighth and you decide you're going to double switch because you don't want to have the the pitcher coming up in the ninth, you know, or what for whatever reason you want to keep if you see extras coming and you want to go through the whole order again before the pitcher spot comes up, you know, because you're going to use a long reliever in a tie game, whatever the situation may be, uh, you need to you're going to use all your bench players. So instead of having one guy who will probably make a lot of money like you do in the American League with the DH, you'll have four or five guys on your bench who are going to make you know, league minimum to a million dollars a year. So I wonder if they're having to balance the job creation of the DH with the potential job minimization of the bench guys. Like, do they become less valuable and their pay goes down? I mean, I don't know. That but, would... but I argue that in today's baseball, you don't have Cal Ripkins anymore playing, you know, a thousand games in a row. There's days off rotated in almost at, you know, once a week for guys, they're getting a day off. And so I argue that those bench guys in the American league are just used in spot starts all across the, their respective positions. Yeah. And from a team management standpoint, you still want to have as good a players as you can at every position, including left bench. You still want to have the fucking best left bench guy you can have. Absolutely. You have to do something at some point. Right. And what if somebody gets hurt? I mean, like that's sports. People get hurt. It happens. So like, yeah, you don't want to have just Joe Blow on the bench with nothing. Like that's dumb planning, period. Agreed. I I, I hope that one isn't the sticking point. Let's talk about expanded playoffs. What are your thoughts on that? So to me, one, we're, we're, our, the whole argument has been and has been to make baseball more exciting. What is the most exciting time of year? Playoffs. Players want to play in the playoffs. Fans want to watch the playoffs. Everybody's excited for the playoffs. So having more teams involved, because baseball is still the, the only league in America that, ha- it, that has the fewest number of teams make the playoffs under standard circumstances, only letting 10 teams in, which is even in a bump up in recent years. I believe in the last five or six years, they bumped it up. From only eight teams got in. Yeah. So I, I just think it from trying to make it more enticing for a fan, 
you should expand it. One, two, your contracts could be laden with incentives to make the playoffs. So players should be cheering for that to have those incentive bumps in their contracts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from a business sense, it's a 100% no brainer that you should expand the playoffs for all of the reasons that you mentioned from the player stance. I think you're right. Where not only from a contractual, you know, negotiating standpoint, but also like if more teams have a chance uh, to get into the dance and ultimately win the thing, that's better for everybody, right? Like you have a better chance of getting into the playoffs because an extra team is available. However, that is the one devil's advocate point I could bring in where if you are, you know, essentially like the one seed basically is, is probably the team that would be most vocal about this being like, why are we letting potentially some like scrub ass team in who could then get hot and beat us? Now, the argument is that you got to win games and it's your fault if you don't win games, but I could see. No, I don't even argue that's the argument. I argue that's already happening. The wild cards are running crazy through the, uh, the Nationals in 19 took out the Dodgers. That was your number one in the National League and took out the Astros, who were a top seed in the American League, too. So let's not write them off. But how The Cardinals, wild cards, both times. Uh, Astros were a wild card in 2005. They went all the way to the World Series. Chicago White Sox were a wild card team. It, it's not out of the ordinary for the wild card team to upset the number one seed and run it all the way to the dance. So that's why they're saying, let's not let any more of them in because we already got enough problems. Well, okay, great. Here, expand them even more. Play longer series because, and and I know everybody rolls their eyes at this, but you need if you determine that 162 games were needed, watch it. People, no why the average fan is going to watch a 13 game series. They're going to be fucking bored. They're just going to get bored. They got to see new faces, new places. But who? Okay, let's take a step. If but you got to pick what camp you're in. If you're either you're either in if you're the players, like you have to pick. Are you in team? We don't want the playoffs expanded because we're trying to not lose. If that's the case, then you should be expand the length of series because the better team would win. Yeah, yeah. It, I, it, you I, need to pick yeah. your camp. You can't be like we're gonna have ten teams in and that's it, but we're gonna play best of seven. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. It, no, mean, it doesn't. Best of seven's not enough. Period. In any sport? No, baseball. We're talking baseball. So how is it enough in basketball and hockey, but not in baseball? Okay. Basketball and hockey, you play an 82-game season. So the league at some point determined that 82 games was the striking striking balance between – Making the owners making enough regular season money, and we've played enough regular season games to determine who the best teams are. Correct? Okay. We, we we're good there. Yeah. Baseball plays 162, so baseball determined we need double the amount of games to to determine one that we've hit that point of we've churned enough revenue through, played enough games, and two we've determined who the best teams are. Okay. So going back to your Charlemagne the God. Uh, three, three, four ratio you laid out earlier. Baseball has the same ratio. You win sixty, you lose sixty, and you determine the playoffs in the middle with that middle forty games. Mm. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, I could also see them saying, "Well, we've also determined that seven is the optimal revenue point and series point for playoffs." But how? How is that optimal? It, it, you're telling me if we played a best of thirteen, that I don't care who it is. 
you're telling me that they wouldn't sell out all seven ga- uh, seven home games that a team had if it went a- to a game 13? Potentially. I-, I think you are. I think you. I think we can't underestimate people's attention spans for the same matchup over and over and over again. We literally have talked about how we don't want to watch the college football national championship because it's just Alabama and Clemson every year. So imagine if well, that's have- not us. We're not the people no. saying that. We, and like, because you and I would watch national championship if it was Clemson Alabama every single year. Yeah, true. Like, and 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 I I'm honestly willingly though, or like exciting about it. Depending on the year. Yeah, I, I, I'm just... If you determine you need two times as long of a season, in order, which I think 162 is way too long, I think you could really shorten it to 120 or 100 even, whatever. 120 to determine who the best teams are and then play a best of 11 or a best of 9 and you really are okay. Like, And you're not messing up a timeline too much. I, I hope that you get the opportunity to pitch this to Major League Baseball. <laughs> Why? Because you want me to get laughed out of the room and never have a job in baseball again or what? No, I want to see what their responses are because I think you bring up good points and good questions. And I I can sit here and assume what their answers are, but we don't know that they've actually done any of that analysis or that they've ever actually thought about it. Like, I've never heard anybody talk about 13 game series, so maybe they haven't either. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, but so and I this is where I really think it because you do a revenue sharing model, right? So my argument, if I let's just be rinky dink product product team, let's be the Kansas City Royals for a reason. Okay, shout yeah. out Mad Dog. Uh, we're gonna be the Kansas City Royals. Um, the Royals, let's play a 120 game season. So we chopped off uh, 20 home games of revenue for the Royals, right? Okay. Okay. But even if the Royals don't make the playoffs, we lost them 20 home games. But the Yankees go to the playoffs and play a best of 13 series four times. So they're gonna get. Seven home games, seven home games, seven home games, seven home games in the playoffs that are all going to be sellouts at dynamic pricing. So it's really expensive. <laughs> and the Royals are getting a cut of that. Yeah. I argue that the 20 games that the Royal, the 20 regular season games that we cut from the Royals would be worth less than their revenue share from the New York Yankees having expanded playoffs to best of 13 or best of 11, whatever the number is. Yeah. I mean, I agree with the idea of cutting the season because you could also figure out a way, like if you're okay going like the same amount of months and and you basically play less games, but spread them out. Now you're getting more marquee nights versus playing Monday afternoon games Wednesday night games, games that we know at every level of baseball, for the most part, are going to be about half full. Your your per caps are going to be, you know, maybe getting you by, but you're not you're not betting the house on half of the fucking games, right? And you can when you can take those half empty games, and and let's just take the metaphor even further. If the Royals did make the playoffs, like they did in '15, they won the World Series. Um, those 20 games they lost, they're making up in hand over fist in the play, their playoff revenue they're generating. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting theory. I'm glad you have the theory and you've thought it out. I have questions about it, obviously. I mean, but yes, I- everybody does. <laughs> yeah. Haven't heard anybody hop on the train with you yet, but... It's the, the woes of being a trailblazer. <laughs> One day, somebody will join you <laughs> on the Oregon Trail. You, you can only hope. Um, let's, uh, maybe quickly touch on somebody who 
might be traveling on parts of the Oregon Trail uh, shortly. And my guy, Matt Stafford, being traded away from Detroit to Los Angeles, uh, maybe he'll fly over parts of the Oregon Trail. Um, but in the meantime, I will die from typhoid fever or malaria, whatever you could die from in that game. I, I never actually played it, so my references ran out. Can you, Ian? Are you about? I thought you were going to die from a broken heart, dude. I um, <clears throat> yeah this this one was tough. I, I was uh, pretty fired up about it. <laughs> uh, yes, as when, somebody who received received the texts, is uh, I think it was within seconds after the news broke that he was were, traded. So there's been multiple levels to it, right? Like as soon as the talk started coming out that that he wasn't going to return, you know, that that's the first level of like acceptance that you have to go through and be like, damn, this sucks. I, I wish we could make it happen. If I was the GM, I'm doing every if I'm like the president, if I'm if I'm the Ford family, I'm doing whatever I can to keep Stafford in the building. Cause he clearly did want to leave. I, I'm not sold that we were necessarily trying to keep him there either, but um you know, that's neither here nor there. So you, you come to terms with the fact that he's not going to be here. Right. And you're like, okay, let's, let's hope that we can get a good trade for him. Uh, I had questions about whether that was going to happen or not, because if everybody knows he's leaving, it seems like there goes your leverage, right? Because you don't have any. And then the trade comes across the board and it just ultimately felt like a slap in the face in only a way that Detroit sports gets slapped in the face. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and lay out for the people what the trade was in case they, they forgot or don't know. So the Lions sent uh, quarterback Matthew Stafford to the Los Angeles Rams. In return, they were gracious enough to send us uh, their cor- current quarterback. Well, can't even say he was current because he got benched for a Wall Street investment banker off the street in the fucking playoffs. Hold the phone. Hold the phone. Former Arizona hotshot, AAF legend that he got benched for. True. True. So not just a wall, not your average Wall Street investment banker, also a hotshot. Yes. Uh, so Jared Goff uh, and then a third round pick in this year's draft, a first round pick in next year's draft and a first round pick in the following year's draft. So, you know, the picks are great. Love the picks. You can't be mad at picks. You can never be mad at picks, no matter where they, I think they're going to end up falling in the, at the end of the first round, which kind of sucks and makes them less valuable. But, you know, maybe you can. A first rounder is a first rounder. You should hit every time. That's my philosophy on the first round. You should hit. If you don't, you're going to have a bad team, which is why the Lions have a bad team, because you look at our draft history and it's almost unbelievable in any other uh, realm of jobs. People wouldn't have jobs with this type of track record. Um, Bring back Ziggy Ansah. But even if even if you don't pick at that spot, you use it as an asset to do something else, whatever, right? You take first round picks because they're first round picks. Sure. The problem I had was bringing Goff over because it doesn't make any sense to me from our standpoint of if we're getting rid of Stafford, we're basically saying that we are rebuilding for the future, which I'm okay with. Because if you're going to get rid of Stafford, that's kind of what you have to do, especially given the holes in the rest of our roster. It's it's not like we are, you know, one guy away from winning. Um, but it would have seemed like to me you bring in as cheap of a quarterback as possible so that you can start to accumulate cap space for future years to bring in free agents or be able to sign people, so on and so forth. And instead, we bring in 
literally somebody who is so expensive that until the Lions traded for him, he was considered untradeable because of his contract. They said he's untradeable. Stafford won't go to the Rams because the Rams would have to get rid of Goff, and literally they can't not get rid of Goff. No organization in their right mind would take on his contract. And then you know what? Price is right. Here gone comes down the aisle the fucking Detroit Lions taking on his contract, dude. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. So just for everybody at home, his contract that Ian is so bewildered by. Um, the Detroit Lions have Matthew or have Jared Goff under contract at a whopping twenty-one million in base salary, a dead cap hit of twenty-five million per year until twenty twenty-four, all the way through the twenty twenty-four season. Yeah, we basically owe him forty plus million dollars this year or, or this coming season and the following season, which will make him like one of the highest paid quarterbacks. Um, this year we do get a little bit of help because the Rams cover part of his salary, but they essentially the part that they're covering is also the cap hit we take for losing Stafford. So uh, even though Stafford won't be on our roster next year, nineteen million dollars accounted to him. Um, we'll go against our salary cap. So now all of a sudden, you know, Jared Goff is essentially taking up like 25% of your salary cap in a year that the salary cap's going to go down. And it, it just doesn't make sense. He doesn't feel like a guy who is like a stopgap quarterback because what stopgap quarterback gets paid fucking top dollar? Like it, it, that doesn't match up. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong here, but he is, they can cut him after 20. 20- after 2023 they can cut him a year early correct so no, uh they could but they would have they would it would be like the 40 million dollar cap hit okay. so he, he's basic unless he gets somehow traded again to some other suckers uh he will be on the detroit lions roster for this coming season and the following season correct but after 2023 i believe the lions have an out yeah, I, I'm, after, I'm reading it after two seasons we can cut him hands clean no cap hit. Right. Yes. Okay. Eighty so, million dollars later. That's what I. That's kind of what I. This is where I'm going to play devil's advocate and poke the bear a little bit uh, okay. for the people. So, you as you said, you've kind of you you're kind of going into that rebuild mode. Yes. I, it seems like it. Yes. Yes. And you, as a Stafford guy, and and I'm not even going to question your Stafford fanhood and what Stafford has meant to you as a youth lions fan yes uh i would shipping off stafford you had to get just the way salary caps work you had to catch cash back because stafford's not cheap when as a quarterback either right but you're also when you compare stafford and golf to the rest of quarterbacks and i would argue that couple of tiers above them and I, you know, we can argue whether Stafford Stafford's a better quarterback. That's not even an argument. But they're they're both in the twenty million cap hit range. Where you look at guys like Russell Wilson in the thirties, Aaron Rodgers in the high thirties, Deshaun Watson and Pat Mahomes in the forties million dollars a year. Right. I'm my argument to you is you got two picks. You got a quarterback who's damn sure going to help you tank, and and could just be that quote unquote stopgap quarterback over the next few years while you go find your guy that you're, that you're going to try and turn into the next quarterback of the Detroit Lions. And you have enough cap room to to play around because you're not paying your quarterback $40 million to be trash. You're well, paying him 25 to be well, trash. 
this year. Next year, we will be paying him $40 million. His cap hit is still only 25 next year. Are you talking about like the 2021 season or the 2022 season? Uh, so 2021 season, his dead cap will be 43. The following year, it'll be 15. So it, his dead cap, if we were to cut him, but what's his actual 27 in 2021 and 25 in 2022 plus plus incentives and bonuses and stuff all included. Yeah, it's just, okay, fine, whatever. I get all that. But again, at the end of the day, if you are rebuilding, we're basically now saying we're not actually going to rebuild for two years because you could go get a way cheaper quarterback. You just could. The Patriots played paid Cam Newton one million dollars last year. Yeah, if, but but, but yes, you, cash. Just fucking send the Rams some cash. Take the three picks. Now people will say you only got the extra first round pick as like a concession for having to take on golf salary. It's it's so egregious that we'll give you an extra first round pick. So. You know, th- then you're talking about a completely different deal. But to me, it just seemed like there were other deals on the table where you would have got a first round pick, you would have got multiple other, you know, mid round picks, and you would have been in a spot where you have basically infinite cap space. Um, you could acquire, continue to acquire picks because I think we got some other guys that are probably going to get moved. So it it just didn't make. We'd be the first rebuild ever to bring in a relatively high priced asset at quarterback. Uh, right. But I, it, we're, we're not, he's not, unless we're saying he's part of the, if he's, if we're saying he's the quarterback of the future, then we got other issues. But I don't think anybody's saying that. I don't even, I, I don't, I'm not saying that. So why are you paying your, a, a two year, a quarterback that you don't have any plans for the future for? Why are you getting a guy that you're paying? And here's money? why, because you're bad and he's going to get shellacked. And it's better to have just a bad quarterback who's just going to come in and get waxed. And and I'm using speaking from a guy who watched David Carr's career get ruined. And I don't. And you, you brought up Cam Newton as an example. I think Cam Newton doesn't fit either because you're not you're not the Lions' objective isn't to win games anymore. Yeah, like in the next couple of years. But that's the thing. I don't think that. With with our roster, the way it'll be for the next two years, I don't think it matters who is quarterback. I don't think you're going to win any game. So I don't think you'd have to worry about like bringing in a Tyrod Taylor on a two million dollar a year deal and being worried that he's going to win you some games. You're going to you can lose. you can still afford to bring Tyrod in for two million dollars a year and let Jared Goff hold the quarter hold the clipboard for twenty six. <sighs> but see, that's the problem. But we we could have had Ty God for two million and fucking Chase Daniel for. And now all of a sudden you're only paying quarterbacks four million. It just right, but to, you had to get salary back to send Stafford off. Pay, just send cash. Just send the cash. <laughs> just send it, just send it over. We'll take Turn the cash. Like, <laughs> help, like help him on the one. It just it doesn't make sense to me. Golf is gonna be terrible, and you know what? Worst case is he is mediocre, and we win fucking eight games and aren't able to do anything in terms of actually getting players. I mean, they got I argue Tyrod would win you more games than eight. <sighs> the Lions are, if the Lions sniff three or four wins in the next two years. Right, but if Jared, Goff, if Jared Goff leads you to eight wins, Tyrod Taylor could lead you to nine or ten. Uh, like, yeah, that's, that's interesting. That is interesting. So, I mean, if you're going to, like, I don't know. To me, it's just like if you, the, the Jared Goff argument is we're paying him to be bad, then just lean in and be bad. Like that's what they're trying to do. It, and, it is and, just a uh, you know new regime, 
lot of there's a lot of pieces that are going to have to happen over the next four or five. There's, you know, there's infinite moves that are going to happen in the next four or five years uh, within this new regime from a ownership standpoint, from a GM head coaching standpoint. This just felt like as a first move, not a great first step, not a great first step. Yeah. I'll be interested to see what they do because I think what's going to happen is they're going to go quarterback in the draft in the next few years, and you're going to be looking at a Aaron Rodgers situation. We can only hope he's as good as Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Rodgers situation where he's sitting behind Favre, and I don't, I'm not ready to call Jared Goff Brett Favre, but you get the idea. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I'm already uh, anxious about it, which you know it is is. Uh sad for me really but <laughs> it is also the truth that i'm sitting here you know we're, we're picking seventh and i'm assuming that we will I, i'm trying to mentally prepare myself that we're going to probably take quarterback like three or four maybe even five off the board instead of being in a p- position where at that seventh pick you could literally take the top prospect at any other position and you have a roster where every position is a need quite literally every position is a need uh and we're going to be in a position to get you know, player one at any position or QB four or five. Uh, and that sucks. <laughs> pray, pray for Brady, baby. Pray for Brady. Everybody did called him QB four or five in the, that draft too, or I guess True. it was QB seven, you but. know, and, and you have to, I have to try and set aside that this is a new regime. Um, and that you hope that they won't draft and evaluate and develop like prior regimes. But the problem is, is there is a plural on the end of that prior regimes. Like, I don't know if it's something in the water, something in the building, what it is, but like a Lions front office has yet to prove to be able to consistently draft, develop, evaluate anything in terms of football. Anything in terms of football, <laughs> Dude, there, <laughs> Just was a, there. there was a stat um, and I'm, I'm going to mess it up. It was either top, uh, top 15 or top 10 defense. So we'll just say like top half of the league defense Stafford uh, in his 11 year career with the lions, the lions had a defense in the top half of the league uh, one time and the lions won 11 and five. Yeah. If somebody, and obviously I'm a Texans guy, true and true, but as somebody who went to Michigan and kind of, you know, unwillingly was forced to watch the lions for four years on Sundays. Uh, it's pretty brutal. Like it is pretty brutal being a lions fan. And I don't know how people have stuck around as long as they have. Well, and then you throw in the little tidbit that we went like four or five seasons in a row without having somebody rush for a hundred yards in a game at the time when the NFL was even more of a heavy running game, uh, because now it's not as heavy of a running game, but you like, teams who win can run the ball as well um yeah but for for an nfl team to go that many years without having a 100 yard rusher uh pretty dire straits yeah it's it's pretty bad in detroit and in houston for football um for different reasons which i think is an interesting case study that we'll have to keep a keep an eye on over the next handful of years yeah, it's going to it's going to be a hot topic, and it's going to be interesting because our both organizations are at what seems like an inflection point, um, and they will likely be in much different uh, places than each other in the next four or five years. And it is hard to tell who will end up where. Next, uh, next 
child we birth on the po- the cutback pod we'll we'll revisit the lions and texans and see where they are very true so let's uh we're gonna have to jump ahead and skip a couple things here but let's go ahead and just get right into the fantasy five this week let's do it uh so ian for those who don't know uh the fantasy five uh where have you been first off because we've been doing it for the whole gestation period of a child uh, is gestation <laughs> period the right word i have no idea uh we, that whole period we've been doing fancy fives, but uh, this week, uh, Ian, we're doing best albums of the decade, the 2010s to 2020s. I guess that's the 2010s. Uh, doing best albums. So the fancy five each week, Ian and I pick a topic. Uh, this week, best albums of the 2010s. Uh, we pit those two teams of five against each other. Pit them. Throw it to social media for you guys to vote on, and determine who's got the best team. We do use the snake system in our draft because we do live in a society and it separates us from the animals. Uh, Ian, last week, what happened? That's a good question. I don't think it got posted last week. Gosh dang it. We're leaving the people out to dry. (laughs) So I don't think we have results from last week. Uh, So how should we determine uh, the order here? Well, since... you have a point on you? uh, I do have a bottle cap, so let's go with that. Perfect. Uh, would you like the Shiner Ramhead or the non-design? Uh, you know, I'll I'll grab the Rams by the horns. All right, you got it, and uh, you got it. That's yours. So you won the Fantasy Five last week due to it's brought to you by Shiner Bach. Shiner Bach. Um, now one quick caveat before we begin, I will also say that I will let you take the number one pick. Uh, but the caveat is is that we allowed any albums that came out in 2010 all the way up through coming out this past year in 2020 that's correct so i know that's 11 years and whatever but yeah hey you're good at math cool get back. yeah <laughs> see ya we don't care uh all right and i just want to also throw out for the good of the order and everybody listening i fully 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 am gonna admit defeat before we even get started uh yon is much more um musically versed i guess would be the word uh so here we go i'm number one the the worst place to be with with this uh topic i'm taking take care 2011 by drake that was uh in the top three for me so i was i was very curious to see and will continue to be curious to see where our musical tastes lie um well i know because i have lived with you i know our musical tastes are different so True. uh and i'm so i'm interested to see at what point they diverge but uh take care is a great album um it's easy to not be a a like diehard drake fan uh especially over the past like maybe four or five years but take care young money cash money drake is i mean absolute banger it is. It's like old school Drake now, which is crazy to say, but it's the good stuff. And it is a top to bottom, no skips needed. A lot of good features on there. A lot of like kind of first listens or or first mainstream appearances by people who are now massive names. Uh, so it, it's it is great. Um, I am going to. <laughs> so this was. I found myself in an interesting spot trying to take this, uh, create my big board because. Uh, Kendrick Lamar would have albums like one through seven for me, essentially. <laughs> on the big yeah. 
I mean, I have a few other artists who I had multiple of their albums in my kind of initial gathering uh, of albums to then make into the big board. And so I told myself, okay, you can only have one album per artist Ooh. on the big board. Okay. Force yourself to diversify a little bit. Uh, so Kendrick Lamar is in my number one spot. And I didn't even pick the album yet because I thought I would be able to pick one here. And I am still just agonizing over I struggle to even rank them themselves. I, <laughs> I believe in all of them that much. Uh, it's like your children. It is tough, man, because I listened to all of them quite a bit. I listened to all of them top to bottom. They all have their own uh, kind of kind of uh, special sauce to them. Oh, goodness gracious. This, oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm going to go uh, Good Kid, Mad City. Wow. Not what I thought you were going to go with. Uh, but I, but great pick on my big board. Not, no, not my top pick, but good pick. And then, uh, after all of that, I will have an easier time taking my next album. And that is going to be kids by Mac Miller. Good pick. Good, uh, just all around. Good pick. If you, uh, are going out for a drive and that drive is going to be at least an hour long, there are a few better albums to play than kids. Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. I'm probably uh, a little new to the Mac Miller game, uh, which is sad at this point. It's a great place to start, and uh, it's some of his some of his best work. Make some amazing references. He has a, he has a Willie Parker reference in a song on Kids. Speaking of uh, sports and Pittsburgh Steelers running back. Wow, <laughs> that's that's deep cuts right there. Yeah, it's pretty good. All right, moving on. Um, I liked your your good kid Mad City pick by Kendrick, but I think you took the the wor- the the lesser of two. So I'm just going to go ahead and pick it up now. Uh, I'm going to take uh, "To Pimp a Butterfly" nice. by Kendrick, um, and then I'm going to follow it up with one that uh, is a banger. She she's an H Town legend, oh. and will will always be an H Town legend. And how can you not take the self-named album Beyonce uh, from 2013? What is your favorite single off of that album? Uh, Man, see, all right. My thing with Beyonce, and I catch a lot of heat for this too, and I really don't care. Like Slim Thug and Beyonce, I just fuck. I'll just throw them on and just let them run. And like, and and I don't care. Like, there's no one song that's like sticks out above the others. It's just. Uh, it's this is such an Oregon phrase, but it's a vibe, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. That would be a tough question for me to answer about any of my picks so far, and going forward, really, any of my picks. So, um, I completely understand that. So, I have two albums to pick up now. I am going to go with Cole World, the Sideline Story. Oh God, good pick. I did not think you were coming that way. Uh, that is a, a big favorite of mine. It's almost, it's kind of that similar time frame as like uh, Take Care. Even it's, you know, one of J. Cole's first projects. It's it's just incredible top to bottom. I um, honestly did not even think about J. Cole and that's on me. Uh, that is a great pick. I'm going to stay in the realm of artists' first projects or first like somewhat mainstream projects at least. Uh, this one has an additional kind of special place in my heart because it is one of the, uh, if not the first live 
uh, rap concert I saw. That's Chance the Rapper, Acid Rap. Wow. I don't even, and this is my ignorance and why I admitted defeat. I don't even know what that is. Acid Rap is Chance's like first, it might even be considered an EP, but I believe it's considered an album. And he did the Acid Rap tour at Hill Auditorium at, at University of Michigan in 2013. Wow. Yeah, see, look at me. Ignorant to all of it. He was wearing an Eric Walton jersey. That's I'm impressive. <laughs> I, I I remember I went to the J. Cole concert at uh that was the year before. Yep, the year before. And that was in Rackham, though, I believe. Yeah, I missed missed that one. I think we had like a football thing or something, but then uh Schoolboy Q was the next year. That was I was at that one too. That schoolboy concert got out of hand at the end, man. It was awesome. Did you go to the Lupe one? The Lupe one in at Eastern? No, I did not. Oh, I that one got that had a uh, Chip the Ripper. Uh, not oh, to be Chip confu- the Rip. Yep, not to be confused with Chance the Rapper. Uh, good. Yeah, that one got great hairy too. Uh, <laughs> anyway, now that we've uh, ended our segment on Eastern Michigan concert talk, uh, baby, Fly Eagles Fly, Fly Eagles Fly. This is where I know we're gonna diverge, but. Uh, because I know you don't like country music and I do. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and just scoop it up now. Uh, this one is for you, Luke Combs. I'm taking that one. Uh, I don't even expect any commentary from you. Uh, Luke Combs can sing his ass off that much. I do know. Uh, that, that is true. The man can sing. Uh, and if you have listened, if you're going to listen to a country album, Ian, which I know you don't find yourself doing very often, uh, 10 out of 10 would recommend this one. It's got no skips needed, as you said earlier. Noted, noted. My uh, country voice I like the best or appreciate the most, I believe, is Chris Stapleton. Ooh, a little slow, slower, deeper stuff. Yeah, that dude, man. I've seen videos of him singing at the Grand Ole Opry, just sitting on a stool. Uh, Dang. Guitar, and it's like, yeah, this this dude has the Wow. Come, that's That's deep cuts there too i didn't that's not what i expected knowing kind of somewhat knowing your musical styles um but uh you we talked about uh acid rap with chance the rapper kind of being his debut original uh album i'm gonna take the same one the debut mixtape uh for an artist that i really enjoy he performed in the super bowl um taking house of balloons by the weekend oh okay that is one I have actually not listened to. It's so it's, I don't know. I, to me, I like it and I'm typing while, while trying to talk, which is never a good, uh, <laughs> good for podcasting. But, uh, I like it because it's not, you can kind of, if you listen to his stuff now, obviously like blinding lights and all that stuff, he, he, it's such a different sound, but it's got this, it, you can tell it's him. I don't know. So it's just kind of like that. You can see the growth in what he's, done right i said with no confidence at all i uh i heard that his original stuff is very like the more emotional and heartbroken he was the better yeah tracks Uh, and i would say it's very similar to j cole like the same kind of feel as j cole where like the more messed up j cole is mentally the better the song is like the more disheveled j cole looks the better the album you know is about to be like people are like he's in album mode he's in album mode right yeah same exact yes a hundred percent same exact mode 
I respect it. Iowa might have to give that one a listen as the weekend has has kind of blown up even more uh, over the past weekend. Okay, time for me to round my team out. Uh, this one will probably come as a little bit of a surprise uh, because as somebody who, you know, one of my favorite ways to listen to music is listening to an album top to bottom, especially um, from artists who kind of tell a cohesive story from top to bottom. This is an album that you can 100% listen to top to bottom. I haven't necessarily been able to garner some amazing, you know, poetic story out of it from its entirety. Uh, but The Stoned Immaculate by Currency. Whoa. That came out of nowhere. I had no idea. No, I couldn't tell you anything about it. So it, go ahead and fill the people in. Stone Immaculate is currency is one of those guys where like he, he'll put out like a, a mixtape every week. You know, he he's somebody who just gets in the studio and, and puts things out. Uh, but the Stone Immaculate is probably his like most critically acclaimed project. Um, it's very similar to kind of like kids from Mac Miller in the sense that it's like going out for a drive on a sunny day and just, or, or, you know, doing whatever. Um, it's just, it's great. Musically currencies flow and his voice are incredible. Um, it's, it's awesome. I love it. I listen to it top to bottom. All right. Put it on the first song. First song to listen to off of that to kind of introduce yourself is called capital capital. All right. Lock it in. You heard it here first, folks. Cutback Pod bringing you musical stylings. Let's um run down the teams first and then get into a few uh, honorable mentions that we may have had. Beautiful. Uh, my team, I had Take Care, Drake from 2011 to Pimple Butterfly by Kendrick, Beyonce, of course. Uh, this one's for you, Luke Combs, and House of Balloons by The Weeknd. You certainly have more variety, uh, which may play to your favor in, in the voting pool. Well, I also have a very eclectic taste in music. I I love country, I love rap, and I and hip hop, and I do love rock. So like, and I don't have any rock on my list. So which is, but that's a harder sell. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. Um, I on the other hand have Good Kid, Mad City, uh, by Kendall Lamar, Kids by Mac Miller, Cole World, The Sideline Story by Jay Cole, Acid Rap by Chance the Rapper, and The Stoned Immaculate by Currency. What else you got? Who are your honorable mentions? I'll start with what else I had on the big board uh, because I did have uh, four left on the big board. I had Life of Pablo uh, by Kanye. A lot of people would say my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. I get it. Uh, I I agree. Life of Pablo. Didn't have either of them. I had Watch the Throne with Jay-Z and Kanye. Yep. yep, that was good as well. Life of Pablo is is similar to Acid Rap and I, I saw that concert live. Um so I think it holds a little bit more weight uh, in that sense. Uh, this is probably another, the, the next two are definitely deep cuts that I would be surprised if you've heard of. Uh, Habits and Contradictions by Schoolboy Q and 1999 by Joey Badass. Both like, it, they're like kind of first uh, mainstream projects. Uh, See, this is why I was, I was literally text you this is lambs to slaughter uh your your knowledge is just far surpasses mine and i've never heard of either of those there's probably a decent amount of like hip-hop heads who would who would disagree with some things on my list i mean everybody has their own different tastes um i did also want to mention control by SZA, uh channel orange by uh frankie ocean 
And uh, let's see, what else do I want to mention here? I think we got to throw, can I, let me throw one in there. How about live love ASAP, ASAP Rocky? Yeah. Yeah. I, I like ASAP quite a bit. I'm not as huge of an ASAP fan as other people. I, I like his like quote unquote singles a little more, but it's definitely not a, it's not a bad album by any means. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the only other one I had on my big, on my big board. So, and I had one other country, uh, my kind of party by Aldine, but Jason Aldine, eh? I did put a little Aldine in there. This is the last one I'll give out because it kind of fits a different meaning. Um, I call this like a workout album. Ooh, little, and little that bangers. Jay Z pressure, not Jay Z. Sorry, <laughs> Young Jeezy pressure. Oh, see, I knew do know that one, and I'm a Young Jeezy fan. Big Young Jeezy fan. In fact, he had two albums and at least two albums in this period that, that you could listen top to bottom, especially while working out Trapper die three. And then yep. Trapper are, die three. I, I can tell oh. you right now, I graduated, I graduated high school in 2011. Uh, Trapper die three was, was bumping. Yeah. Regularly. All solid stuff from the snowman himself. Um, <laughs> let's, let's kind of wrap things up here. This is episode 38. We mentioned it at the onset. We did. I came up with one athlete and he's probably a fringe 38, but he's kind of well-known-ish for that 38, I, I suppose, especially in the uh, Detroit basketball circles. And that is Kwame Brown. Oh God. We, I, we are going to go with Kwame? That that was what I was bringing to the conversation. I was hoping oh, you man. maybe brought I... more of a legitimate uh, possibility. So I did bring somebody. Uh, I know we had we rarely call ourselves a hockey podcast, but uh, I'm bringing a, a hockey 38 to the table. Then uh, that's Pavel Dimitra, played 19 seasons in the NHL. He's Czech. I'm Czech. Got to give him a little support. Uh, three-time All-Star. He was the leading scorer in the 2010 Olympics and won the Lady Bing Memorial Trophy in 2000. Uh, as a ninth-round pick, I think that deserves some shout-outs, and that's the only 38 I could really find. Pavel Dimitra? Yep. Played oh. played ni- 19 years in the league. Wild Blues. Yeah, played Kings. Too. Yeah, he, I mean he's, you know, lived out of a suitcase most of his career, but uh you're the leading scorer in the Winter Olympics, you deserve some kind of shout out. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I'm okay with that. We can we can certainly go with him over Kwame. Yeah, I, I just feel like Kwame Kwame doesn't deserve to be in our our pantheon of numbers. <laughs> Two infamous years with the Pistons rocking number 38, apparently. I had no, I honestly don't even remember Kwame being on the Pistons. Me either. Uh, luckily, the Googles told me. I, I vote we go with the hockey guy. Yep, with, I'm in. Let's do it. I'm in 100%. Thank you, Pavel. <laughs> brought, he brought 19 years of fun to the NHL. Hey, and what's 19 times 2? 38. Wow. Oh, shit. We're there. That's full circle. Uh, any final thoughts here? Sign our shout outs for the good people. A little bit of a heavy episode. Today. Uh, yeah, it was a heavy episode, but you know, we birthed a child at the beginning. So sure. here we are. Uh, I, yeah, I want to end it with the question to you. Um, does Deshaun Watson start next season as a Houston Texan? Yes. No. You have one word. No. Oh God. All right. End the show. End it right now. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, fellow degenerates, this has been episode 38 of the Cutback Podcast. Until next time, keep your head on a swivel. Try not to get laid the fuck out.